Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Nutrition Lifestyles. I'm Joanne. And I'm Kim. And we don't know what other way to say it. So Mm -hmm. let's just talk about fertility. Uh, Just to let you know, from now, this topic may be sensitive to some listeners. Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll be discussing the physiological makeup of women and may throw in men. We're not too certain yet. So we may be using some terminology, which may or may not offend you. So for our young listeners out there, we're just letting you know from now. Right. So fertility, fertility awareness, menstruation, basically everything related to your uterus is something that most women, you know, we, we face it at one point of our in our lives or another. And if you guys remember last season, we went into reproduction and your menstrual cycle and we discussed foods that can positively or negatively affect your menstrual cycle. So today I'm so excited um, about today's episode because as you guys know, uh, I think I've talked about this before, I totally understand the pain that someone can experience when they are having bad menstrual cycles and when they, um, you know, experience bad menstrual cycles every month for most of their lives. So today we have Lisa Hendrickson-Jack, and she is a certified fertility awareness educator and a holistic reproductive health practitioner who teaches women to chart their menstrual cycles for natural birth control, conception, and monitoring your overall health. In her book, The Fifth Vital Sign, Lisa debunks the myth that regular ovulation is only important when you want children by recognizing the menstrual cycle as a vital sign. And I mean, I kind of agree with her because if you think about it, like blood pressure, um, height, weight, like they all tell things about our bodies and periods do the same thing. So drawing heavily from the current scientific literature, Lisa presents an evidence-based approach to fertility awareness and menstrual cycle optimization. She hosts the Fertility Friday podcast, which is a weekly radio show developed to helping women connect to their fifth vital sign by uncovering the connection between menstrual cycle health, fertility, and overall health. So Lisa, welcome to the Nutrition Lifestyles podcast. We're so happy to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, Lisa, we're going to jump right into this. Just tell the audience a little bit about yourself, including um, what fertility awareness is to you and why you got into this or how you got into this. Well, yeah, my journey was interesting because I discovered fertility awareness when I was pretty young. So I was kind of right out of high school about 17 or 18 years old, I had been on the pill for birth control, or actually, let me rephrase, I wasn't on the pill for birth control. I was on the pill because I had heavy, painful periods, and I was like super active in sports, and I didn't know what to do about it. Uh, my doctor put me on the pill like before I even finished my sentence, uh, and that's really what I wanted because at that age, I didn't have any other options that I knew of at the time, uh, but because I wasn't on it for birth control, I wasn't always taking it at the right time. And when I actually needed birth control, I was a bit scared to rely on it because I kind of kept thinking that I would always be nervous that I might be pregnant, especially if I missed a pill or forgot to take it or any of those types of things. Uh, And it was right around that time that I discovered fertility awareness. So my initial thought was, okay, I'll just use condoms because then at least I know if the condom breaks, like (laughs) it's like a real time kind of thing that I know and I can handle it at that Mm. time. And uh, so I was, I just discovered that there was a talk at my university 
uh, one of the feminist talks that they were holding. And the woman speaker just, she was just talking about a bunch of different topics. And she mentioned that uh, you're not fertile every day of your cycle, that there's a short window of fertility in each cycle that you can identify by paying attention to your cervical fluid and your cervical position. Mm. And that your cervical position changes based on where you are in your cycle. And for me, that really blew my mind. I was like, after all the years of being taught that you could get pregnant every day of your cycle and being just absolutely terrified of getting pregnant, but not really knowing how anything worked, (laughs) um, I realized that there was way more to this. So I ran out, bought a copy of Taking Charge of Your Fertility and started charting my cycles. Uh, Very shortly after I started teaching other women to chart on my university campus, there was a group of women who met monthly uh, I often look back at that and think that it was meant to be because how many other people can say that on their university campus was a group of women who were teaching fertility awareness. And so I got into all of this at a very young age. I was in my early 20s, but I didn't start making a, a ruckus like online and kind of reaching out to a broader audience until after I had my first son. And I suppose the reason for that was because I had been able to take for granted this knowledge of how my body worked. I was able to successfully prevent pregnancy throughout my entire 20s when I wasn't ready to have babies without hormones because I knew how my body worked. And when I was ready to have a baby, I knew exactly when to time it. And um, and then I kind of looked around and realized how many women are struggling to conceive, how many women are struggling with fertility issues and period issues and menstrual cycle issues who could really just benefit from understanding how the cycle works. Wow. Yeah, that is amazing. And I'll be very open and transparent here. Um, I struggle with um, menstrual issues diagnosed with dysmenorrhea at the age of it was like 13. Doctors wanted to put me on the pill. My mother is from the Caribbean. So she was like, "Ah, no, that's not going to (laughs) happen. So for me, it was just a cycle of um, pain medications and figuring out what foods in my diet would, you know, aggravate and what foods wouldn't. So I wanted to ask you, like, what is like the concrete definition of fertility awareness when it comes into, um, you know, your menstrual cycle and knowing when your ovulation is about to occur, like everything all put together in like a nutshell? Well, in a nutshell, fertility awareness is an awareness of the cyclical menstrual cycle events. And when you're paying attention to your three main fertile signs, so it's your cervical fluid, your Mm -hmm. basal body temperatures, that's when you take your temperature first thing every morning when you wake up, and your cervical position. So when you pay attention to those three main fertile signs, you learn how to identify which days of your cycle are fertile which days of your cycle are not, so when you can get pregnant and when you can't. And you can also predict your period. So you essentially, in a nutshell, it's having a deeper understanding of your cycle and understanding the basic cycle events, knowing when you're fertile, being able to predict your period. And then from that, it allows you to make choices. So when you have that knowledge, some women choose to then use it as a form of birth control. Some women choose to use it when they're trying to get pregnant and other women just want to understand their bodies and start to understand, like in your case, you experienced extreme pain with your period. So some women then take an, take it as an opportunity to start learning about what factors mm-hmm. contribute to the health of their cycles and, and kind of use that information to, to, to try to make the cycles better, more manageable, and to heal some of the issues that they may be experiencing. 
Wow. So basically someone who is practicing fertility awareness is very in tune with their body. With fertility awareness, is there a science behind it? Well, that is a great question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, there is. I think that a lot of people hear about, you know, the cycle tracking and fertility awareness, and they really think that it's like the 1920s rhythm method. Right. And so the rhythm method is a method um, of birth control, but it's based on your uh, calculations of your cycles. So for example, you have, you follow and track a certain number of cycles and then you calculate, you know, the average date of ovulation. And then there's a whole calculation around, uh, you know, what days you should have sex on what days you can't. The, the challenge with that is that the one thing all women have in common is some degree of cycle fluctuation. So, uh, going based on a calendar rhythm method doesn't work for most women. Mm. Fertility awareness is not it's, it's just not that. So modern fertility awareness-based methods, there's many different ways to track those three main fertile signs that I uh, talked to you about. Um, the method that I teach is referred to as the symptothermal method. And so that means that it's a combination of your cervical position and uh, cervical mucus, so symto, symptoms, and the temperature, the um, thermal part of it. And it's interesting because there's lots of research on it. Um, the fertility awareness method is based on the biology of how the female and male bodies work together. And so from a scientific perspective, the reason that there's only a small window of fertility each cycle is because actually for the majority of the menstrual cycle, our bodies are actively killing sperm in a sense, like resistant to sperm. So outside of the fertile window, our cervix is actually closed and it's blocked with a thick mucus plug that actually prevents sperm and any other kind of foreign um, possible pathogens and things like that from entering our uterus. Our vaginas are naturally acidic. So outside of the fertile window, if we have sex, the sperm die within a very short window of time because there's nowhere for them to go. They can't penetrate the cervix and the vagina is really acidic. And it's only during the fertile window that we actually start to make cervical fluid. So for any of the women who are listening, if you've ever noticed that you see kind of like a creamy white um, discharge, I guess you could say, or like a clear stretchy fluid when you go to the bathroom or on your underwear at certain times of your cycle, but not others. Or if you've ever had the experience where you go to the bathroom and you wipe yourself and it feels really lubricative or slippery uh, at certain times, that is your cervical fluid. And you produce that as you approach ovulation because of rising estrogen levels. So this is all very It's basic Mm -hmm. biology, and it could literally be taught to us in junior high. Um, It's just basically how how the female body works. I mean, it is basic biology now. Like, as you're talking, I'm like, oh, yeah, I do remember reading about this or learning about this. But, you know, thinking about myself, who I've always had, like, irregular periods where I would have, this is prior to kids, I'd have, like, five days here. Next month, I'd have eight days there or whatnot. So learning fertility awareness, it doesn't matter how irregular your period is, you can still practice fertility awareness. Well, it's true because fertility awareness doesn't, doesn't require you to predict when 
your ovulation is. So mm -hmm. the one thing that I actually teach all my clients is that you can't predict ovulation with this method. What this method allows you to do is identify which days of your cycle are fertile and which days are not. So if we divide the cycle into two halves or two parts, the first half of the cycle is your pre-ovulatory uh, phase. So it's what happens while, you know, as you approach ovulation. And it's only during that pre-ovulatory phase that pregnancy is possible. So just to kind of put it out there right, right off the bat, really, we ovulate on one day of the cycle, and then the egg, if it's not fertilized, dies within 12 to 24 hours. So what happens is, as we approach ovulation, we produce this cervical fluid that allows the sperm to survive inside of our bodies for up to five days. Uh, it's really cool. It filters out abnormal sperm. It rapidly transports the sperm. Like, it does all this really cool stuff. Um, but ultimately, we're only fertile when we're producing this cervical fluid that can keep the sperm alive. So there's a small window. And uh, about the science and the literature, there's research studies that have been done to really identify that fertile window. Okay. And there was a study out of the New England Journal of Medicine that showed that um, the window of fertility is six days per cycle, like from a scientific perspective, mm -hmm. because our mucus can keep sperm alive for up to five days. And then we have the one day of ovulation. So that's six days. So um, when you're in that fertile window and you're producing that cervical fluid, you know, you can get pregnant, but when you ovulate, you act, your cervical fluid actually dries up, your cervix closes, um, it fills with that thick mucus plug, your vagina goes back to that acidic state, um, your cervix actually changes position to like a lower closed position in your body, and pregnancy is then not, is impossible for the rest of the cycle. Right. So the second half of your cycle after ovulation, pregnancy is actually not possible. Mm -hmm. um, and the studies that have been done on the symptothermal method, so there's a study um, it's kind of, it's probably the most quoted study for fertility awareness effectiveness rates. But basically, you had a group of participants who were trained by educators to identify this fertile window based on the three main fertile signs that I talked about. And when used correctly, you know, the method is not up to 99.4% effective. Wow. Um, so I think what's hard for a lot of women to, to stomach about it is that uh, it's never present, like most people have never heard about it. <laughs> and even if you have heard about it, you just didn't think that it could actually work. Like it, we're not told that it's a legitimate option that, uh, that you could use if you want to. And I think that that's a, a missed opportunity for a lot of women. Not all women are going to want to chart their cycles and use this particular method, but there is a percentage of women who are absolutely like, yes, this is what I want to do. And so we need to be providing this information so that if you want to do it, you can, you have that choice. Right. So I know, you know, you mentioned the three stages, like the pre-ovulation stage, the ovulation and the post-ovulation. So the question that came to my mind is really like, what does a healthy menstrual cycle actually look like? Because Joanne mentioned sometimes it would be five days and then eight days mm. over here. And mm. like, I get the same thing. So what does it, what does it look like? Well, a healthy cycle. So I'll take you through the whole cycle. Often we think of the cycle as just the period. Right. And it's kind of like a period happens and then some, you know, fast forward and then another one happens. We want to talk about what happens in the middle as well. Uh, but we'll start with periods. So um, a healthy period should last about three to seven days with an average of about four to five days. Mm -hmm. And uh, your period typically will start off moderate to heavy and then uh, gradually decline. So there's kind of like an active bleeding phase typically for the first, you know, two to three days. And then the bleeding tapers off. 
um, you would expect, I, I kind of, I always say like your period should be like a sentence, like there should be a, a beginning, a middle and an end, and then it should be over. Mm. So it's really common to experience a little bit of spotting maybe before your period starts or a little bit of spotting after. Um, but ideally your period kind of starts, there's a middle and then it stops and then it's over. Um, so bleeding throughout the cycle, that's mm. something that you'd want to look at and know that it, although, you know, there are women who experience bleeding throughout the cycle. If you are regularly experiencing multiple days of, of bleeding outside of your period, that is not normal. We want to look at that. Um, in addition, your period, uh, in, in terms of heaviness, mm -hmm. the volume of bleeding should fall somewhere between about 25 and 80 milliliters. Hmm. And so if you use a menstrual cup, a menstrual cup holds maybe 20 to 25 milliliters. So, uh, on the sh on the light end of your period, you'd fill at least one cup, like throughout the whole period, um, and on the heavy end, you'd maybe fill like five. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there there are women listening probably who fill five in one day, mm -hmm. and I think that it's really important to know that what a heavy period really is. And if you so the reason that the the research has kind of cut off at eighty milliliters is because when you bleed more than that regularly, you're at a greater risk of iron deficiency anemia. Ah. And there's often a, an associated issue. So for example, women with fibroids are more likely to bleed more. Um, women with uterine polyps or endometriosis or other types of issues. And so if you regularly bleed more, you should get checked out by your doctor, check your iron levels. And also if, if your doctor has never done an ultrasound, just to check things out, definitely that should happen. <laughs> um, and one last thing about periods is that although it's really, really common to experience a lot of pain, like moderate to severe, a lot of women do experience pain, that doesn't make it normal. I mean, think about it, is there any other situation where we think about moderate to severe bleeding to be completely fine? Mm. <laughs> I've really been racking my brain. And just imagine like for the women who are listening who do like if you and I've experienced ridiculous pain as well. So I went through that for many years until I figured out, you know, sorted it out. And so I've had two babies now. And I, I used to think before I had them that it was like, as bad as childbirth. And now that I have gone through childbirth, it, it was like the period pain was mm. as bad as like up to maybe five centimeters dilated. And then maybe the labor got a little worse. Right. <laughs> um, so just to put it out there, like imagine your brother, your, your dad, your partner, your whoever, a man who experienced that level of pain in their penis for a couple of days every month. And if everyone would be okay with that. Mm. So it's just, I mean, so, I'll, you know, in any other circumstance, pain is a sign of a problem. And even with menstruation, I think uh, when you look at the research, so I'm a big research head, um, did a lot of research for the book, but uh, women who experience period pain have higher level of inflammatory markers. So there are studies where they actually measured the level of prostaglandins, which is a marker of inflam uh, inflammation. They measured this actual tangible marker in their blood and women who had uh, you know, moderate to severe pain, we're showing four times the level of this inflammatory marker, these prostaglandins. Mm. And prostaglandins are necessary for your period. It's what makes our muscles contract so that the blood can come out, you know, so it's a no normal part of it. But we know then that women who experience pain have higher levels of inflammation. So really the pain is a sign that there's an issue Girl. going on. And pain is, uh, extreme pain is often associated with endometriosis, which is a condition that's associated with infertility and can be extremely debilita debilitating. And so, yeah, just, you got to put it out there that period pain, really common, yes, but 
we got to start looking at it as a sign of a problem. And mm. for you guys listening out there, I know Lisa just mentioned the book and you guys may be wondering like what book? So Lisa is also an author and she wrote the book, The Fifth Vital Sign, um, Mastering Your Cycles and Optimize Your Fertility, which is basically a book to understand the connection between your menstrual cycle and your overall health, which I need that book, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I really, it's like my, one of, because I experienced such ridiculous pain for so long, um, it's just one of those things when, whenever I hear a, a woman telling me that she's experiencing really painful periods and she's kind of tried everything and nothing's worked, um, there's no quick, easy answers. So I'm not one of those people that's going to, you know, say, because people used to say that kind of stuff to me, like I would read books and it was like, yeah, you know, I, I journaled and I had a good cry and then I never had a period pain again. And I'm just like, no, this this is real. Like this is an actual thing that hurts in my uterus to stop. Um, So I think for me, looking at it from that scientific perspective, understanding the role that inflammation plays in it, understanding the sources of inflammation, you know, there's a lot of dietary sources. There's a lot of um, chemical sources uh, as black women, um, every product that's made for us basically contains Mm. all kinds of horrific Mm. chemicals that go on and disrupt our endocrine system from the hair products to the body lotions to the, you know, and everything else, you know, um, to the conventional dairy and uh, meat products that are, you know, the cows are given the hormones and all like, there's so many different areas where we're exposed to different chemicals that disrupt Mm -hmm. our endocrine system, different inflammatory markers. And the first step in addressing it is to really start to understand how the body works and understand like the period pain isn't normal and understand that uh, there are things that we can do to start to improve you know, our periods and our cycles. Wow. So, you know, you just mentioned um, how the products that they put in our, in our the, the chemicals they put in our hair products, how that can affect our menstrual cycles and whatnot in our reproductive system. And I know a few years back, there was a lot, you know, the movement that we all, um, most of us in the Black community have gone through, which is going natural. And a lot of us did so because of, um, information that was released in regards to how it's harming our reproductive system, um, causing fibroids and whatnot. Can you go into that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it's a big topic. There's a lot of research that connects various chemicals specifically to um, disrupting normal endocrine function. And all that means, uh, put another way, is that so in your body, you're producing your own natural hormones. Yeah. You know, um, in your, during your menstrual cycle, you're producing your own natural estrogens and progesterones. And our body knows what to do with those hormones. We have receptors for those hormones. And those hormones control, you know, a, a variety of different processes, even outside of our reproduction. And so when you're using any product that has a scent, that has phthalates, that has just a range of of chemicals, you know, BPA, so chemicals that are in the plastics, chemicals that are in the makeup and um, the lotions and so the personal care products, you know, it's, it's well known that those beauty products contain these chemicals. They're well studied. And the chemicals, the problem, one of the problems with them is that they have a similar molecular structure to our own hormones. So many of these products, we can call them xenoestrogens or estrogenic chemicals. So they're similar enough to the structure of estrogen that they can get caught into our, um, into our receptors, but they're not actually 
real estrogen. So then they cause different effects in the body. Wow. And so when we're using the products, like, you know, even if you're natural, see, that's the thing too. Like, even if your hair is natural and you're still using the lotions and the products, like the beauty store has an endless supply of butters and all the things. And so, and a lot of these products, um, I interviewed a woman on my podcast who talked about like a, there was a, she was actually a researcher in this study. They actually studied a number of products specifically targeted to black women. And there, when they studied the actual products, they found that there was a number of ingredients that weren't even on the label in the products. And some of these ingredients weren't even allowed in the country wow. that they were in. So um, there's, there is an actual issue with products that are geared towards um, black women and the research even shows that the products often contain chemicals that aren't even listed. Um, and one of the issues is that black women often use products in a different way. So I don't wash my hair every day. And so if I'm using a product, I might use that product and apply it daily for uh-huh. weeks mm-hmm. um, or, you know, a week. Whereas, um, you know, other individuals who, you know, do things differently might be applying these products, but they may wash them out every day and then apply them again. And so there's all of these different, and then like, I haven't even gotten into perms. I mean, have you ever explained to like a non-black person how perm burns through your skin if you Mm -hmm. leave it on and have the look of horror on their face? (laughs) Because even bleach doesn't do that, right? Even bleach doesn't do that. Like if you leave perm on your skin, like it burns through your head. Right. So this is beyond a xenoestrogen. We don't even know what that's doing. You know, to be honest with you, when I was listening to your podcast a few months ago, I started binging on your podcast last year. And when you mentioned xenoestrogens, like, honestly, Lisa, you can ask Joanne. I was telling her, (laughs) I was like, I got to get rid of the water bottles. And so (laughs) Joanne got a glass water bottle at the time. And I'm like, where'd you get that? And I stopped using lotions. I had to switch to coconut oil. Shampoos became different, like everything. And let me tell you, it really has impacted my cycle. I know I didn't share this with you guys. I'm not even sure if I shared this with you, Joanne. Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. But a couple months ago, I ended up in the ER because Mm. of period pain. Like this thing was like a 20 out of 10 and nothing could touch it. Until they had to give me that IV morphine. So I'm just like, you know, we are really unaware as black women how many xenoestrogens are out there. And as you mentioned, um, certain hormones that, you know, because we're dietitians, so we're always into food, certain hormones that are in certain foods and the dairy products and different things of that nature, which may be causing like all this inflammatory responses. Mm-hmm. Well, in some women, it's not always so simple. The way right. that I talk about period pain is is kind of like a step-by-step approach. And the, the xenoestrogens are an important step, as is starting to be aware of what foods are inflammatory and what foods encourage um, a balance of like the omega-6 and omega-3 fatty acids. So it's like a targeted thing. But there are women who then realize, oh my goodness, and it's everywhere. It can be really overwhelming. Mm-hmm. It, I think it's helpful to think about this as a step-by-step process, one that could take four to six months or even a year or more. So like step one, just start with one thing. Maybe start with your beauty products as you, you know, are running out of things. You know, what are you using right. for... Um, shave gel are using like 
what do you use to wash your skin? Like, does your soap contain scents? Anything that has a scent, you know, what are you using on your face? Do you have all of the lotions that have all of the scents? Like, do, do you smell like strawberries all the time? Um, <laughs> does, do you have plugins with the scents all over your house? And then, so start with the, the kind of personal care products and what you use in your hair. Start looking at the labels, start looking, you know, Google environmental working group and start looking at the products mm-hmm. that you have and see how they're rated on that website. Um, anything that you can't pronounce, you know, start thinking about that. Mm-hmm. And then once you start to kind of go through that, I mean, for me, I simplified a lot of the stuff by, you know, switching like, a lot of the things I have now are like coconut oil, shape butter, kind of homemade. I know everybody can't do that, but there are, you know, products often more expensive, but products that don't contain all that stuff, maybe use essential oils instead. Then you got to start looking at your household. What do you use to clean every cleaning product? Does it, you know, contains all kinds of stuff. We don't even know what it contains. Um, and so it, it's kind of like a journey. Um, and then menstrual products, you got to mention those, you know, if you're using conventional pads and tampons from the store that are not organic, I mean, they have, there's this, um, there was a, a report that I think came out from the FDA that showed that they, when they tested the menstrual products, they contain dioxins in addition to the rayon and the bleach and all the different products. Like, how do you think they make the cloth so white, right? Right. So mm-hmm. you're putting like bleach and dioxin in your vagina when you use a tampon, you know? Mm-hmm. And so some women switch their menstrual products and they start, you know, getting rid of the xenos. They reduce the burden on their liver because your liver has to get all that stuff out of your blood. And then they start to experience less painful periods. Um, and also, fibroids are a huge issue for black women fibroids are estrogenic they're they're estrogenic like benign tumors right estrogen causes them to grow and feed that like feeds them Mm -hmm. so for a lot of women um, i mean i i had my doctor do an ultrasound when i was like 24 or 22 or something and i had fibroids and one of my goals was to figure out what i could do to reduce estrogen so that they wouldn't grow and grow and grow and grow because i i mean they can grow you can look like you're three four months pregnant by the time you're a little bit older because they just keep growing so all of, there's huge implications to everything that we're talking about here especially for black women wow you know I, I totally agree with you um, in regards to this being a process, because in the last 10 years, I would say, you know, I've gone natural, although, or I, I should say I'm not permed because I'm not completely natural because I have color in my hair. <laughs> so, um, you know, I've watched the kinds of um, sanitary napkins that I use. I don't use, I rarely ever use any kind of tampon um, or anything like that. So I've definitely made changes because of the um, information that I've read in regards to, um, you know, the kind of chemicals that they use to bleach the sanitary mm-hmm. napkins, um, the plastics that are in them and all all that stuff. And so I, I totally agree with you that it is a baby step process um, at times for most people because doing it all at once may be overwhelming for some. Now, one question I do have for you is in regards to using birth control pills. I know you said you you use them for pain. Um, Now, there are people out there who are like, oh, my gosh, this is too much. I'm just going to use the pill. Can you go into a little bit um, as to why somebody may want to think twice about using um, uh, hormonal uh, birth controls? Um, I mean, I think first things first. Uh, I'm not into pain. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And uh, when I was experiencing my painful periods, 
Like it's horrible. So mm-hmm. I think that, you know, there is something to be said for just supporting a woman's decision to, to manage with what she has at the moment based on what mm-hmm. she currently knows. Right. Um, because there are many women who basically do it because they will use the pill uh, to manage the pain because otherwise, you know, they, they, they really don't feel like mm-hmm. they can function and they really haven't necessarily been showed any other way to deal with it that has actually worked. Um, the issue with using hormonal birth control to manage pain is that uh, birth control doesn't regulate the cycle and it doesn't fix the underlying issues that are contributing to the pain. So if you understand kind of pain, that pain is a sign of a problem, a sign of an underlying inflammatory condition, possibly underlying endometriosis or other type of issue along those lines, then you must understand that when you go on the pill, uh, at some point, most women eventually want to come off of the pill. You know, most women at some point might want to have a child or maybe they just decide they don't want to be in hormones for the rest of their lives. And so when you come off the hormones, you still have to deal with it. Right. Um, side effects associated with birth control. I mean, every woman who uses birth control doesn't experience the same side effects, but the most common side effects include depression, low libido, painful sex, nutrient depletion. Some women experience anxiety and panic attacks. Some women experience recurrent yeast infections. And uh, because we're not necessarily told up front about a lot of these side effects, many women experience these symptoms of like depression and like low libido Mm -hmm. and all these different types of things. And uh, they might experience them for years, but not make the connection that it could be the birth control that could be um, causing it. So that's something to be aware of. One of the reasons why, um, even if birth control is a short term way for you to manage the pain, it may not be what you choose for the long term. And something else to consider for women who experience pretty extreme pain or moderate to severe pain, one of the things if you're really struggling to manage the pain is while you're on birth control, you could take the opportunity to start learning about the different factors that can contribute to inflammation and pain um, Mm. during your period. And you can actually start making those changes. You know, we were talking about xenoestrogens, you know, start looking into where your exposures are and reducing, um, looking into the, the potential issues of your diet and food that could be contributing to those types of um, the the pain kind of doing a lot of these things while you're still on birth control. Uh, before you decide to come off of it to try to lessen it. I've, I've just been there and it can be just so horrible and excruciating, particularly for mm-hmm. women who are on the more extreme end of the pain. And so, um, you know, it's not a good idea just to go curl to cold turkey because I don't think anybody should have to suffer. But I think it's helpful to know that there are things that you can do. Uh, and when you address the root underlying issues that are causing the inflammation and pain, you're giving yourself the best shot of having a more permanent solution so that you can actually just live your life Mm -hmm. um, without debilitating pain every time you have your cycle. So I guess, you know, the take home point that I'm getting from what you're saying, Lisa, is the fifth vital sign, your period, you know, just like how a physician may take like the blood pressure, may take the weight, may take the height, you know, the anthropometrics, I'm hearing from what you're saying that, you know, really paying attention to your entire um, menstrual cycle is important for your overall health. Is is that correct? Yeah, that's definitely correct. And also that 
when your cycles are really outside of what we would consider normal, when you have moderate to significant menstrual cycle issues, that, uh, you know, it really mm-hmm. can be a sign that there's something wrong. So we could, we should be paying attention to our cycles in a, in a different way uh, and take it as information. And, you know, a long time ago, you asked me to define what a healthy menstrual cycle is, and I actually defined a healthy period, and then we went on a tangent for pain, which was very important. Um, But I just remembered that. So um, at some point, if you want me to go back and kind of actually take you through the period, we could also do that. Yeah, yeah, please do that now. Yeah. (laughs) I just remembered. Um, So we talked about the period. So I think a couple of myths about the menstrual cycle. One is that it's always 28 days long. And so an average cycle, when you look at the research and um, the lived experience of women, average typically falls around 28 to 29 days. But a healthy cycle can actually range anywhere from about 24 to 35 days in length. Mm. And I think that's important because uh, a lot of women think that if their cycle isn't exactly 28 days, that it automatically means their cycles are irregular or problematic. And so the true definition of an irregular cycle would be if your cycle is actually varying more than about eight days from cycle to cycle. So if you have like a 27 day cycle and then like a 42 day cycle and then, you know, a 31 day cycle and then a 45 day cycle, you know, that would be, or, or if you have uh, nine or fewer cycles in a whole year, like if your cycles are generally really long, that would actually more fit the definition of irregular. Mm-hmm. Um, and also when you, if I take you through the period, so your whole cycle, I mean, uh, you start with your period, you know, bleed for about three to seven days. Typically we would, you know, at that stage, you're in your pre-ovulatory phase and you start to approach ovulation. So for women who are actually using the fertility awareness method that we've been talking about and are tracking their cycles, you would typically see a couple of days um, that we would call dry days before you start to see your cervical fluid. Mm. And as you approach ovulation, you would expect to see anywhere from about two to seven days of that kind of creamy lotiony or clear stretchy um, mucus, basically. You might notice it in your underwear, you might notice it when you go to the bathroom and you wipe yourself, but it's a normal healthy fluid that's an indication of when you're fertile. So if you take nothing else from this conversation, you know, when you see the mucus, it means that sperm can survive for up to five days and you're fertile. So if you're trying to get right. pregnant, have sex. If you're not, you know, do something about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, so then we would expect in a healthy cycle for you to ovulate. And so the, the myth about ovulation is that it's always happening on day 14 of the cycle. Mm-hmm. And so because the cycle can range in length, ovulation ranges. So um, ovul- in a healthy cycle, 24 to 35 days in length, ovulation may happen as early as day 10, as late as day 23. Just to put it out there mm-hmm. with an average of about four, day 14 or 15. Um, once you ovulate the cervical fluid, we'd expect it to dry up. And then we would expect your next period to come about 12 to 14 days later. So you can't predict exactly when your ovulation is going to happen in your cycle because it does vary a bit from cycle to cycle. But after you've ovulated, you can predict when your period is coming. Now, I mean, wouldn't that have been useful when we were growing up as teenagers to be able to predict our periods? Right. Okay just by paying attention to our cervical fluid, which you can. This is very, very neat. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for being on our podcast and giving us an insight on fertility awareness because I feel like the information is so vast that we're just getting a little bits and tidbits um, about what, you know, introduction on fertility awareness, I should say. So can you tell our audience where they can reach you if they have questions, if they want to know more about this? 
Um, yes, thank you for that. Uh, so the the book that we were talking about is The Fifth Vital Sign, Master Your Cycles and Optimize Your Fertility. Um, all of the things that we spoke about today are in there. It's a pretty meaty um, book. And you can actually download the first chapter for free over at thefifthvitalsignbook.com. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's a great place to start. Uh, if you, this topic has interested you, if um, our, our discussions about xenoestrogens and um, the fertility awareness method and the birth control pill, uh, check out the Fertility Friday podcast. So whatever your favorite podcast player is, just type Fertility Friday. Um, I'm just about to release episode 300. So there's quite a bit of <laughs> quite wow. a bit of content for you to listen to there. Um, and, uh, and then I'm on Instagram at Fertility Friday. It's a fun place to hang out. Okay. Well, everyone, if you have any questions and you want to continue this discussion, you can always also go to our Nutrition Lifestyle Facebook page and... Um, ask the questions away. You can even also message us privately so that we can get some questions to Lisa if need be, if you're not going to go directly to her. Um, as usual, please give us five stars and someone know, a friend know about our podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. Thank you, Lisa, for being here. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.